Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Caffeinate for May the 15th. My name is Samuel Adams, and welcome to the show where I didn't even turn on the camera. So give me just a moment to flip that sucker on. At least we've got something going on today. Hello, hello. I promise that I am here, in fact. Uh, but welcome to the show for those that don't know what Caffeinate is. Number one, how? Uh, this is the number one gaming morning show on my YouTube channel. I know that for a fact. Uh, but uh, every morning here at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, I go over the hottest gaming news of the past 24 hours and keep you guys up to date with what is going on and give my two cents along the way and just kind of fill you guys in and keep you updated with all of the sick, juicy news that's coming out of the world of gaming, but today uh, is a sad day mixed with a good day. It, it, it's a, a bittersweet kind of news day because we did have the announcement of the fact that Rage 2 is in fact real, uh, so that's a big deal. I'm excited to uh, talk more about that, but on top of that, we also had the announcement that Boss Key Productions, the team behind the somewhat popular Battle Royale game Radical Heights, is in fact closing its doors and its last day was yesterday, and on top of that, Cliff Blazinski, the face behind Bosky, the uh, the head honcho over there, uh, really an aficionado in the gaming industry, has announced that he is going to be taking some time off to spend time with family and friends, but we'll talk more about that in a moment or two. Uh, what it comes down to is that there is a lot of news to jump into today, but uh, last night we had our second episode of Fully Wired. It's up on twitch.tv slash Fully Wired in the VOD section. Unfortunately, couldn't put it on YouTube, uh, but hopefully as time goes on, I'll be able to kind of refinagle the show and get it to where it is going to be acceptable on all platforms, and that way we can get that to you in every way, shape, and form possible. So we will uh, we will try and make that a reality next week, but no promises. You know, the show is what it is. Uh, I check out trailers. I check out gameplay. I check out uh, people to discussing different kinds of things. It's one of those situations where, because of the nature of the show, it may not be able to be, you know, put up on YouTube at a later date. But I digress. We'll see what goes on. Hopefully that won't be an issue for the foreseeable future. But without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the first news story of the day. Bethesda announces Rage 2. This one's coming to us from Kotaku over there with Jason Schreier, uh, another one of those aficionado kind of guys. He does some amazing work. After a week of teasing, viral leaking, and marketing plans, today it's finally official. Rage is getting a sequel. Here's the Mad Max-ish teaser trailer, which Bethesda is uh, promising a full gameplay reveal uh, today. So we will be talking about that tomorrow on Caffeinate. Get ready for that. Get hyped up for that because uh, I'll be doing not really an analysis, but I'll be doing a discussion about what's going on within the trailer itself. Uh, this one will be developed by Avalanche Studios, the studio responsible for the 2015 open-world Mad Max game. The first Rage developed by id Software and released in 2011 received mediocre reviews, except from your boy who thought it was okay. In 2012, as we reported, id Software was planning its own version of Rage 2 before Bethesda canceled it and refocused the studio on the new Doom, which is a good idea, uh, which was going through a brutal development cycle. Thanks to some reboots, some management changes, and a lot of talented people, id Software recovered to release 2016 Doom, a highly regarded new entry in the series that wound up on the top of many Game of the Year list, and I would agree with that statement. The new Doom, the newest Doom, uh, is fantastic. It is truly uh, a modern masterpiece of gaming, without a doubt. So why would Bethesda make a new Rage game? For starters, Bethesda marketing boss Pete Hines had teased it, suggesting that the first Rage sold well enough to justify a sequel, as we saw from last year's Prey, which had nothing to do with the first Prey, and which uh, many developers at Arcane didn't actually want to call Prey. Bethesda does not like throwing away its old brands, even when they're hopping between studios, genres, and ideas. Uh, when it comes down to it, talking about that whole uh, naming situation, the naming debacle, if you will, uh, when you have a name like Rage, or a name like Prey, as this article puts it, uh, 
it's one of those situations where people know what that is. Whether you realize it or not, people are familiar with the term Rage. People know what that game is. People have an idea of what to expect from the world of Rage. They're expecting something that's similar to a kind of Mad Max setup. Uh, so... To uh, to abandon that completely and bring in a brand new uh, you know name for whatever this new project is going to be would be kind of a waste of a good you know uh, name that was already identifiable with an audience. It already had a group of people that cared about the fact that it existed. So uh, I understand what they're coming uh, you know to how, how they're approaching Rage. To I understand what they're trying to do here. Uh, the question is, what is this gameplay going to look like? Because that's really what it comes down to. That's what really matters. Uh, if the gameplay isn't good in any game then the people don't want it. I don't care what the name of your game is. If the gameplay isn't satisfying, isn't smooth, isn't exactly what people are expecting from that experience, uh, then they aren't going to support it in the long term. We've seen that time and time again with various games. I mean, even a game like Call of Duty has had a couple of flops where the gameplay just doesn't flow, it doesn't feel right, it feels underdone almost, and the game doesn't perform well. Uh, So... You know, with Rage, it was already kind of on the fence because it's not, you know, like I said, it's identifiable, but it's not really, really identifiable. Okay, so, um, you know, whenever you have Rage, you have to really take a step back and say, how do I make this game good uh, while also identifying it and, and keeping that DNA that we originally saw with the original Rage and really making something new, but it still has roots uh, in, in its origins and its foundation. So that's kind of the way that I think they're going to be approaching it. Of course, Bethesda's press conference is coming up in a couple of weeks at E3 2018, where I will be covering it right here on YouTube.com slash Samuel Adams Media. I'll, be, I'll uh, probably be doing live streams, uh, you know, talking about all the uh, announcements of the various things going on at the show. I think we're going to be putting that over here since this is kind of the gaming-oriented section of my content, or the gaming uh, news-oriented section of my content. So we'll be uh, doing that. I can't wait to see what Bethesda brings to the table. Of course, a couple of days ago on Caffeinate, we said this is going to be the longest Bethesda press conference ever. This is the most they are putting in uh, in the history of their press conference lineup. So hopefully we'll be getting a lot of news. Hopefully we'll be getting a lot of big announcements and things along those lines. But, um... You know, we'll just have to wait and see. The one thing I can say that I take away from this article is that I forgot that id Software actually developed Rage. I had completely and totally, that had slipped my mind. Uh, to think back and imagine if they had focused on Rage 2 instead of Doom, I think that we would be in a very, very different place, and Bethesda would be a very different company in the public eye. Not that it would be, you know, better or worse, I'm just saying that things would be different. So, uh, thank God that they focused on making Doom instead of Rage 2, and hopefully the guys over there at Avalanche Studio working with Bethesda are going to be able to make a game that's satisfying to old-school Rage fans like myself and, uh, you know, also brings in new people and maybe even makes a big IP out of Rage because I think it's there. You know, the world is uh, is really full and and largely unexplored, so hopefully we will be seeing something cool coming from Rage. But uh, overall, I love the vibe of the announcement trailer. Hopefully the gameplay shows a bit more because obviously you can't really, you know, tell much from what's going on in this newest trailer. Uh, I don't want to show it because, you know, copyright things, but, uh, but it, it's very much so a... Um, you know, a Mad Max kind of experience where you have psychos, you have you have gases flowing around in, in bomb format, kind of like a dirty bomb looking kind of thing. A whole bunch of uh, very characterized people. Uh, it looks like they have a lot of personality. That's the one thing that I'm taking away from the trailer. Uh, you know, I'll have it linked down below or I'll have the story linked down below that has the trailer within it. Uh, but essentially, it seems like there are a lot of over-the-top characters in the same way that you get stuff uh, like Mad Moxie, I think is what her name is, from Borderlands. Uh, you know, uh, you know all these, all these, all these really over-the-top characters from Borderlands it seems like that kind of idea has been injected into the world of rage. So cool stuff there. 
you know, with Mad Max Studio Avalanche Studios behind it, then I that's kind of what I expected, to be honest with you. But I'm excited. We'll see more today uh, whenever that announcement trailer or the gameplay trailer does end up dropping. And I will talk about that tomorrow on Caffeinate as we do every morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Not necessarily rage, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, moving on to the next story, Cliff Blazinski steps away from games, says Bosky Production is, quote, no more. Servers for Radical Heights will remain up in the near future, though. Uh, so there's a picture of Cliffy B, the guy behind the uh, the Bosky Productions. But game designer Cliff Blazinski, co-founder of Bosky Productions and a major force behind the development of the Gears of War franchise, is stepping back from games to focus on himself and his family. In a statement posted to Twitter this afternoon, Blazinski sked... Uh, bl- bl- a lot of lot of things there. A lot of, lot of S's and, and weird... Uh, Blazinski said that Bosky is effectively no more. Four years ago, I set out to make a world-class video game studio, and I hired some of the best talent in the video game industry, he wrote. They worked tirelessly to produce quality products, and while we had our ups and downs, I'd like to think that we had fun doing it. Lawbreakers was a great game that unfortunately failed to gain traction, and in a last-ditch attempt, we scrambled to do our take on the huge battle royale genre with Radical Heights, which was well-received. However, it was too little too late. Blazinski uh, continued to say he planned on stepping back from development for a time to spend more energy on his family and a sick pet. Video games will forever be a part of who I am, and I hope to make something new again someday, he said. However, I need to withdraw and take this time. Bosky created the high-concept multiplayer shooter Lawbreakers, which was poorly received and ultimately wound down. Uh, It was literally just... A good game, but the fact that, number one, when it launched... I'm sorry to go off on a rant here. Uh, whenever it launched, there was no team deathmatch, okay? Whenever you have a brand-new first-person shooter, you have to be able to show people what it is, and the best way to show off any first-person shooter is to have a team deathmatch mode. That was a that's, that's a prerequisite that's been established by Call of Duty for years, literally over a decade. If you don't have a team deathmatch within your game, people are not going to know what to play. That's why the newest uh, FPS that I've been playing Iron Sight, uh, which is pretty much a Call of Duty, but it's what people have been wanting from Call of Duty. It has a team deathmatch, it has a domination, it has all of these game modes that you would expect, because that's what people want to play. Anyways, I digress, that's what happened with Lawbreakers. Um... In April, the team transitioned to Radical Heights, a free-to-play survival shooter that made interesting design choices in an already crowded space, including games such as Fortnite and PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds. Uh, the last substantive tweet from the Bosky Twitter account was six days ago. Although the studio is winding down, the servers for Radical Heights will remain up for the near future. According to Blazinski, we've reached out to that team for more details, but super disappointing, you know. Uh, I was talking about this last night on Fully Wired, the, uh, the newest show that I've been doing for a while there, um, but... The thing with a studio shutting down is that if you liked Radical Heights, or if you didn't like Radical Heights, if you enjoyed Lawbreakers, or you didn't enjoy Lawbreakers, the fact of the matter is that this studio was a conglomeration of a whole bunch of people with a lot of talent. Uh, The people that Cliff had brought together really did have a passion for creating games, and they wanted to do something big, because Lawbreakers was set up uh, to be quite a revolutionary experience. I'm still going to stand behind that game. I played it uh, in beta form a couple of times, and overwhelmingly, it was trying new things. Was it perfect? No. Was it the best game I'd ever played? No. Was it going to become the next big first-person shooter? No. But there were good ideas there. There was a good design concept there. And uh, to see that potential just washed down the drain, uh, to see that potential completely and totally wasted 
uh, at the end of the day because of, you know, everything that's been going on behind the scenes over there with Bosky and the fact that they don't have a ton of stuff going on. Uh, it's just, it's a very sad, sad fact to see that a studio is closing down. Also, Alan, good morning. I hope you're doing well. Uh, but so with that being said, you know, hopefully we will see more from Cliffy B in the future. I mean, the man is a legend. I remember, like I said last night on Fully Wired, uh, I was going back and I was watching old G4 TV videos a couple of uh, days ago whenever I was sick in bed. And, um, and I remember seeing Cliff Blazinski wearing like a like a skater kind of outfit with a chain on. He was like in his in his early to late twenties. Uh, he was talking about E three. It was hilarious to see that this man had you know gone so far in the industry. He'd create he'd essentially created Gears of War, and now he's moved on to make his own stuff. But now we're seeing you know the end of Bosky. So that's very disappointing. I suppose we will uh, you know pick back up in a couple of months whenever he gets back on his feet, and hopefully we will maybe see the uh, you know. Uh, spiritual successor to Bosky Productions. Hopefully we will see something with a new idea. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of uh, reflection that can be done. I think that there's a lot of thinking that can be done on both the part of Cliff and uh, and the guys over there at Bosky that they could come back together and make something very cool. However, uh, Radical Heights is not that thing. Radical Heights was not a good game. Moving on to the next story of the day. Overwatch gets a new Legendary Edition that comes with 15 skins. What better way to get started than a batch of skins? Alongside news of plans to celebrate Overwatch's second anniversary in-game, Blizzard has also announced that a new version of its hero shooter is on the way. Here's what we know about Overwatch Legendary Edition. The Legendary Edition launches on May the 22nd, the same day as the new anniversary event begins. It's only being released digitally, so you won't find it in stores. It comes with the base game and 15 skins, which were not specified. Blizzard it only says it includes sets of legendary epic and origin skins i wonder if it's like a um like a big pack like a big like a big uh what do you call it loot crate or whatever you want to call it not loot crate that's the that's the monthly subscription box use my code no i'm just messing uh but this package seems intended for those who have not yet picked up the game rather than diehard fans eager to put a fancy box on their shelf if you're unsure whether you want to finally take the plunge blizzard also plans to host another free weekend on uh pc ps4 and xbox one this will run may 25th through the 28th so essentially 10 days from today uh may the 15th and offer access to most of the games, uh, save for competitive mode. Uh, wait, what? And offer access to most games, save for competitive mode. Okay, all right, I understand. Uh, that period overlaps with the anniversary event, which will introduce new skins and cosmetic, bring back old brawl modes, and add a new map. In the meantime, it's not too late to buy the new uh, Pink Mercy skin, which costs 15 bucks, but sees the proceeds go to Breast Cancer Research Foundation. So, uh, this is another version of Overwatch that you can get if you have, for some reason, not taken the plunge and played Overwatch at some point. Uh, it's one of those games where I'm kind of on the fence about it. You know, I like the idea of Overwatch, and I loved playing it. I put hundreds of hours into the game, but I just have fallen out of love with it. I don't know what it is, but it seems like uh, the community overall is very salty. It's very volatile overall, and um, and I think that there's a lot that can be done on the community management side of things to make the public eye perception of Overwatch a little bit more acceptable. But with that being said, the gameplay itself is very solid. Uh, you know, the um, the way that Blizzard has flipped the world of, uh, of Blizzard on its head. And instead of being identified as the Hearthstone World of Warcraft Diablo people, they're now identified primarily as the World of Warcraft Overwatch people. That's kind of the way that I see them. Uh, but it's, it's awesome to see that two years later, Overwatch is still going strong, even after some of its 
competition has faded away. Uh, so if you haven't played Overwatch and you want to pick it up, the Legendary Edition is coming out. It comes with 15 skins, but you certainly don't need those uh, to get your hands on the game because you can play for free uh, the 25th through the 28th on a, a platform of your choice where Overwatch is available, whether it be PC, PS4, or the Xbox One. Uh, worth div- divin, worth diving into, I think. I think it's a, it's a game that's definitely one that you should play this generation because it is so important. It is so significant. So, um... You know, if you haven't given it a shot, give it a shot. And if you want to buy that pink Mercy skin, uh, it's 15 bucks, but the proceeds go to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. So that's a good way to invest 15 bucks of your gaming fund uh, in a, uh, you know, a way that's going to benefit the world overall instead of just getting you some kind of shitty game. Moving on to the next story of the morning. Steam controller gets Bluetooth support for Steam Link mobile gaming. Uh, the new Steam Link app means that it is needed. Uh, yeah, so we have an update to that, but, um, this is a story that I started talking about a couple of days ago whenever there was an announcement that there is an app coming to iOS devices available now, uh, wait, Android devices right now coming to iOS in the near future, uh, and it essentially allows you to play PC games on the go on your mobile phone. Uh, remember Valve's weirdo Steam controller? It's about to get another day in the sun thanks to the upcoming revival of the Steam Link app and with it a bunch of new features as well. Uh, the Steam Link app, which allows players to stream their library of PC games from one device to another, is getting support for mobile devices too as part of a new update that, uh, and that necessitates an update for Steam's homegrown gamepad too. Uh, currently the Steam controller requires pairing with proprietary USB dongle designed to reduce latency in order to connect and play, uh, but you'll be hard pressed to find a full-sized USB connection on the majority of tablets or mobile phones, so Valve Valve is rolling out an update that will bring a Bluetooth low-energy connection to its pad. Uh, now, a Bluetooth low-energy connection isn't necessarily the most stable of links to a cloud gaming service, especially a game with uh, where pitch-perfect accuracy is uh, required. But it's better than nothing for mobile players. And just to hammer the point home, Valve still suggests that where possible gamers make use of the USB connection, thanks to its reduced latency. With its mouse replacing trackpads and strange globular grips, the Steam controller is a bit of a curio on release, so the fact that MFI controllers for iOS devices can be used on mobile will be welcome to the new dedicated portable players. It's worth noting that the Steam controller will only work with games played through Steam Link stream from your PC, and it's currently unclear whether support for native mobile games will be available in the future. Uh, Alan in the chat says, Android, you say yes, but sort of. So the thing with this is that it's an app that allows you to stream games from your PC to your phone, meaning that the PC is doing the bulk of the work. So if you don't have a strong enough PC, then you aren't going to be getting a good experience on mobile. Uh, that's kind of the, uh, you know, the hook there. But, um, for people like myself that have, you know, kind of a beefy gaming rig, uh, for people, uh, beefy, uh, for people like myself that might buy a Steam Link whenever it's on sale over the summer for around five bucks normally, uh, I might be getting into this because, you know, if I just want to lay on my bed and play a game, if I just want to enjoy some time, you know, away from the keyboard, then I might be able to enjoy it uh, via my mobile phone or via my tablet or whatever it may be. It's a good idea overall, but the question is how many people are going to be using this, and also is this competing directly with the Nintendo Switch. Uh, you know, whenever it comes to PC gamers, it seems like the majority uh, of the players want to sit at their computer and play games. I mean, that's where I would prefer to play the majority of my experiences. I just like playing games sitting in my computer. Uh, with that being said, you know, you have a world where the Switch is absolutely taking it by storm. So for those that want to invest in a little bit of a Steam Link, uh, for those that want to invest in a, a Bluetooth controller of some kind that works with their mobile phone, then you might be able to go ahead and just play your entire PC library in the same way that you would play your Switch. I don't know what the limitations are as far as distance 
games goes, as far as connection goes. Uh, but if you wanted a cheaper alternative with different kinds of games for you to enjoy your PC library, uh, then you might just want to try out the Steam Link app and see if it's something you might be into. So uh, if you have a Steam controller, uh, then by all means, you can dive into that and enjoy it and, uh, and uh, you know, come back here and let me know what you think about the new app that is going to be hitting your mobile devices soon. If you are on Android, available now. If you're on iOS like myself, uh, it'll be coming in a couple of weeks, I do believe. But um, overall, cool to see them adding Bluetooth support to uh, to the Steam Link app. I know that they're really good, really, really, truly quality good, um, you know, Bluetooth controllers out there that pair uh, well with mobile devices. So uh, you can dive into that if you would like to and uh, play Rocket League or something. I don't know. Whatever the hell you want to play. Moving on to the next story of the morning. Coming to us from PC Gamer. U.S. Supreme Court opens the door to legal esports gambling. The court has struck down a 1992 federal law against sports gambling. The Supreme Court of the United States has struck down a law prohibiting gambling on sports events with a 6-3 ruling that brings an end to a six-year legal battle over the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act of 1992. As ESPN reports, the ruling uh, opens the door to legal sports betting in any state that wishes to offer it. It is likely to have a major implications for esports. The ruling doesn't mention esports specifically, but given the increasing com- uh, wow commingling of conventional sports and esports, it's almost inevitable that the former will lead to the latter. And as attorney and ESG law founder Bryce Blum pointed out on Twitter, esports gambling is already tremendously lucrative. Indeed, indeed it is. Uh, it's also potentially a risky shift, as he explains in follow-up tweets. Match fixing is an obvious danger, but underage gambling may be a more pronounced issue for esports leagues to grapple with, given that esports audiences probably tend to lean uh, younger than, say, boxing and age verification through online channels is notoriously iffy. There's also the question of skin gambling, which is different from betting on match outcomes and against the Steam terms of service, but remains very lucrative and bound up uh, to come up to uh, the moment any league of meaningful size enables or even just allows gambling. There will be a lot of wrangling and maneuvering ahead, but it's interesting to note that the National Collegiate Athletic Association says on its website that it opposes all forms of legal and illegal sports wagering because of its potential to undermine the integrity of sports contests, told the News and Observer that it may take steps to allow gambling on NCAA events. You know why? Because it makes money. It makes a ton of money. While we are still reviewing the decision to understand the overall implications of college sports, we will adjust sports wagering and uh, championship policies to align with the direction from the court, Chief Legal Officer Donald Remy said. You know, we could go on here, but essentially when it comes down to it, there is such a huge market for gambling in online competitive play. On top of that, there's also a huge, you know, market for gambling in any kind of sport, regardless of if it's physical or if it's a digital kind of esport. Uh, when it comes down to it, this is too big of a potential, you know, influx of money for people to ignore. Uh, this is a big freaking deal because do you know how many people bet on sports? Do you know how many people bet on horse races, football games, baseball games, basketball games? I mean, you have to remember that in Back to the Future 1, Biff got the almanac. Okay, Biff, actually no, in Back to the Future 2, Biff got the almanac and changed the course of history. Betting is a big freaking deal, people. Okay, so... um. You know, with this, it's it's one of those things where I think this could actually bring the world of esports to a new level. It could really bring the world of esports uh, to a more significant level. With that being said, though, uh, it's not necessarily going to take it in the way that I wanted to go because then it will just make everything about gambling. All the esports competitions, everything will just be about who has the best shot in CSGO and who should I put my money on, who is the prize horse. I don't necessarily want that kind of future for esports. I don't want it to be all about the gambling. But with that being said, you know, like. 
like I said, money to be made. So uh, if you are into the world of esports, if you're into the world of uh, of gambling, then you might be interested. You might want to pay attention over the course of the next couple of months because there's some big stuff coming down the pipe uh, that is changing and and undermining laws from 1992 over over what is that 20 years ago? Yeah, over 25, 25 years ago. Oh my god. Wow, that's a long ass. Oh my god, I'm 21. Ooh, moving on to the next story. Coming to us from CNET. Rumored Xbox accessibility controller leaks on Twitter. Nothing's been officially announced yet, but E3 is less than a month away. Walking Cat, a usually reliable source of early Microsoft information, posted an image of a mysterious peripheral on Twitter earlier today. Xbox branding is clearly evident, but no other information was provided. It's not even clear if it's a photo or a render. Windows Central believes the device is a, quote, new Xbox controller designed for accessibility that Microsoft has been working on for a while and speculates that it will be announced at the E3 gaming show, which takes place just a few weeks from now in Los Angeles. So here is the... uh Here's the picture in question I wanted to show you guys. Uh, it's kind of, for audio listeners, uh, looks like maybe a, I don't know, a set of conga drum tops, and then there's the D-pad, and uh, and I'm not really sure what's going on here, but it's a very interesting little device. Also, unclear of the size. I think I see a USB port on the size. I mean, assuming that these buttons on the face of it are are the size of the ones on the Xbox controller, uh, then you can kind of see exactly how big this thing is. But uh, really interesting here, because I would assume those are touchpads. You know, I would assume that that's kind of the situation we've got going on here. So it's kind of a, a weird, um, you know, an accessibility controller. It's it's made for those that might have a disability that that uh, keep them from using the traditional style of controller. Uh, but as the site points out, it has a groove section on type for functions or on top on type, whatever maybe a USB port and a 3.5 millimeter audio jack. We are always exploring ways to deliver the best gaming experience to our fans, but have nothing more to share at this time. A Microsoft spokesperson said in response to the image, uh, the E3 press conference is June the 10th at 1 PM. What day of the week is that? Hold on. Uh, that would be a Sunday, June the 10th at 1 PM. I'm excited to, uh, to see more about this, but here's my thing with this. You know, you're going to see a ton of people that say, Oh, I don't need this. Who needs this? I, you know, why are they making this? Why are they wasting their time on this? Uh, the thing, with gaming is that you know if you have a disability uh, let's say that you have some kind of uh, some kind of birth defect that keeps you from using your arms effectively uh, if you have some kind of disability you might not be able to do a sport you might not be able to you know do a lot of things that other people are doing but when it comes to gaming it's very much so a welcoming kind of atmosphere. It's very much so something that is able to suffice. It's able to make do with whatever you bring to the table, and it can bring you right into the world that everyone else is sharing, and it can make that that hardship, whatever you might be dealing with, whatever disability you might have, it can make all of that fade away, and you don't have to worry about it. So... You know, whenever you're talking about this disability controller, whenever you're talking about this accessibility controller, it's actually what it's called, not disability controller, excuse me. Uh, but whenever you're talking about this kind of controller, this is this is what's amazing about gaming to me, is that with this controller, anybody can play Doom, anybody can play Fortnite, anybody can play anything. Now, you might not be as successful as somebody who is on the traditional set of sticks or keyboard and mouse, uh, but it lets you come in and it lets you play with everybody else and it lets you have the same welcoming you know engaging experience that other people are having so you know I can't complain too much about this I cannot wait to see if this is actually a thing at, at E3 of course I'm not going to be buying one because I don't need one but for those that do you know it's good to see that Microsoft is getting behind those people and supporting those people and ensuring that everybody can take the most uh, advantage of the games that are coming out today because there are some amazing experiences out there ladies and gentlemen uh, you know as we're seeing with a lot of the games that are preparing to be announced at the show. We've got a lot of awesome stuff coming down the pipe later on this year and beyond. Uh, so to think that there's somebody out there that um, 
you know, might not be able to use the traditional PS4 or Xbox One controller, and to be able to think that they can play a game like Anthem on this, on this, you know, dual stick kind of accessibility controller, that's that's awesome. I love I love that I live in a world where that's a thing. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that, and hopefully I will have more to share later on at E3 in a couple of weeks on Sunday, June the 10th, because uh, I'm excited about the Electronic Entertainment Expo. Moving on to the next story of the day. Uh, coming to us from The Verge over there with Circuit Breaker, Nintendo is making a special edition Famicom Mini loaded with manga games, manga games, however you say it. You know what I'm saying. Uh, we're talking Dragon Ball, Saint Saya, Captain Suba, Subasa, and Kenny Kumon. Oh god, I don't know any of these things except for Dragon Ball. Familiar with Dragon Ball. Uh, Nintendo is releasing a Golden Red Famicom Mini in Japan that comes preloaded with 20 games that are based on manga as spotted by Kotaku. The Famicom is the original Japanese version of the NES, first released in 1983. The news today comes along with the announcement that the NES Classic will be back in stock on June the 29th. This special edition of the uh, family computer will celebrate the 50th anniversary of the weekly Shonen Jump Mag. Magazine, which prints beloved serial manga titles like One Piece and Boruto, uh, the sequel to Naruto. Haha. Uh, some of the preloaded games include Dragon Ball, Saint Seiya, and Fist of the North Star. Most of these are very old school. From the late 80s and early 90s, the console was set to cost 7,980 yen or $72.80. Nintendo released a Famicom Mini back in 2016 that largely had the same games as the NES Classic. The console was preloaded with 8 bit games and used controllers hardwired to the console. The special edition Famicom Mini comes to Japan on July the 7th. Overseas fans will have to forge through eBay to get some, uh, some, you know, person to ship it to them from Japan itself. So, uh, unfortunately not going to be getting a Western release over here in the States, but, uh, cool to see that they are partnering with this, you know, 50th anniversary of the weekly Shonen Jump. Uh, I think that's a cool little, uh, cool little mashup, and I think it's going to be very well received in Japan. But on top of that, the imports of this console are going to be absolutely mind-blowing. This is a collector's dream. I mean, look at this box art. That is amazing, okay? I just want to make it very clear. That is some awesome stuff. Additionally, I didn't know Dragon Ball was that old. Uh, that's one thing that I must say. I, I don't know if that's actually, you know, a, a reality kind of thing. But 1983 or when, when was when was Dragon Ball, you know, brought to light? I have no idea. But what's cool about this is that Nintendo is clearly, you know, branching out, trying new things. I don't know that you would have seen this, you know, five, ten years ago because everybody was focused on what they were doing, you know, as a company itself, as at the core. But now it seems like they're kind of branching out, trying new things, partnering with other companies, and uh, making experiences that fans want to see. So this is awesome. You know, I'm excited to hear more about this. And um, July 7th, if you want to buy a Famicom Mini uh, that is packed with 20 anime manga games. Uh, for me, not really interested in it. Not a big manga dude, but I'm definitely going to be trying to pick up an NES Classic Edition whenever those are back in store shelves later on in the summer for however long those may end up lasting. Uh, but uh, I, I kind of want to get both of them, the NES and the SNES. I don't know. It's just one of those things where I feel compelled to dive in and finally get one since they are going to be, you know, widely available at the price that they are, you know, meant to be available at. So, uh, you know, whenever July rolls around, it's going to be really, number one, interesting to see if these remain in stock. Number two, uh, how many of these are able to be imported, but uh, thought I'd let you guys know if you want to get in on that and and scratch that manga itch, because who doesn't have one? Moving on to the next story of the day, the last story of the day actually, coming to us from Polygon, Stardew Valley on PSV to lives, and it's almost here. 
The Vita version is coming soon. The PlayStation Vita version of Stardew Valley was announced months and months ago, but we've heard almost nothing about it since. But here's some good news for Vita owners. Stardew Valley will be available on PlayStation Vita starting on May the 22nd. Perhaps the most common question I get asked is, when is Stardew Valley coming to PlayStation Vita? Wrote creator Eric Concerned Ape Barone on the game's blog. Well, the time has finally come for me to answer. When it's out on May 22nd, buyers of the Vita release will also receive a copy of the game on PlayStation 4. It works both ways. If you have Stardew Valley on the PS4, guess what? You get it on Vita now, too. As for why the PlayStation Vita version took so long, Barone didn't say. Publisher uh, Chucklefish, I almost said Cucklefish. That would have been bad. Uh, Chucklefish did update fans back in December that they hadn't ditched the port, although it won't receive the multiplayer feature. But Vita owners can't complain about getting one of 2016's most acclaimed games on their beleaguered, beleaguered, maybe, uh, handheld. What a weird word to use. Uh, No matter how long it took, especially considering the ports of Stardew Valley for other little love systems like the Wii U ended up in the cancellation pile. Uh, so, number one, shocked that this is still happening. I cannot believe that people are still supporting the Vita in 2018, and that's coming from somebody that loves the Vita. Uh, if you've never played a PlayStation Vita, I would recommend finding one at your local gaming store if you get a couple of, uh, you know, extra dollars laying around. I would recommend finding one on eBay for a discounted price, whatever you may do, however you may find one. The Vita is a very unique little handheld that I fell in love with whenever I bought it on day one, uh, back in, I guess it was probably around 2012. It was before the PlayStation 4 came out, so uh, it's been a hot minute, but um, the thing with the Vita is that the screen is beautiful, especially on the classic OLED version, but the the compact nature of the controls, but the fact that they have a fully fleshed out control system uh, alongside something like the DualShock 4, uh, aside from the R2 buttons, is amazing, and it really does provide an awesome mobile experience. So to see something like Stardew Valley finally hitting the console after such a long extended period of time is, uh, you know, just something that makes me happy, so I thought I'd let you guys know about that. Uh, If you have a Vita, then Stardew Valley is going to be right at home. Unfortunately, no multiplayer, but when it comes down to it, that's not really what the core of the Stardew Valley experience is really about. If you are looking for something to play while you are, you know, just chilling out, if you're looking for something to play while you're pooping, uh, whatever whatever you might be doing, Stardew Valley is definitely going to be one of those go-to relaxing kind of uh, of end-of-the-day style games. And it's finally coming to the PlayStation Vita on May the 22nd, if you are interested in that. But that wraps up today's episode of Caffeinated. I hope you guys have enjoyed today's show. If you did and you're watching on YouTube, drop me a like down below. If you are watching later, uh, still drop me that like down below. And if you're listening on podcast services like Anchor, like iTunes, whatever it may be, uh, be sure to favorite and rate the podcast, do all that good stuff, and shoot some comments my way on twitter.com slash prettychillguy. Let me know what you guys think about the show, the stories that I covered today, how do you feel about Rage 2, Cliff Blazinski, uh, Overwatch getting yet another edition of the game. Let me know what you think in the comment section down below. And of course, as always, I will be back tomorrow morning, every weekday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. I'll be right here covering the hottest gaming news that you need to know. But I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your Tuesday. I will talk to you soon. And thank you for joining me yet again for another episode of Caffeine. Peace.